0: I'm not trying to get by. by. I don't wanna feel real free. I'm not trying to get free. I'm not want to feel real free. I'm not trying to get by. by. This episode is about the truth and possibility of the time that we will forever be defined by the coronavirus pandemic, COVID-19, or the plandemic, as some of us refer to it as. Since the week of March 17th, I have been in community spaces, in dozens of Zoom calls, and watched the beauty of community and connection triumph in this moment where we're being asked to be socially distant. And so as a leader of the Appreciative Inquiry Summit recently stated, we are not social distancing, we are physically distancing and socially connecting. So I invite us to share, to use, to spread that language so that we actually can embody the narrative that reflects our most sacred human condition, sacred human need, human desire. And that is to connect and to have community, to have love, care, and trust. And so that's what this space is about. And for those of you that might not fully be ready to step your toe into the truth and to some of the facts that I'll bring up as we journey together today, I would invite you to pause to check in with yourself and to see why that might be. To really sense the censorship around us and to see what's really at stake if we continue to allow our freedom to express ourselves, to be limited by what an internet bot or a social media mogul, the media or any other individual decide what we deserve to be able to say or not say. And so I hope that this message reaches you I hope that we might continue to display our most human character traits and to remember the moment in the age of coronavirus when we remembered our collective humanity that's not divided by geography or zip code or race. And while I'm not refuting that the coronavirus pandemic has impacted communities of color or those that have been marginalized more. That's fact because anytime there is crisis, those areas, those blind spots that have been ignored and pushed aside will be illuminated once again. And so what we've always known to be true is that there are, is a lack of access to healthcare that there's a lack of access to food and to water to shelter for some of us it was absolutely illuminated and widened by this notion to shelter at home and for many of us the question becomes what's home have i been connected to this place that i'm being asked to stay in have i been Am I connected to this land that I'm having to stay on? Do I know the stories of those who came before? What'll be the story of those who come after? These are all questions that are up for many of us right now in the face of uncertainty, doubt, fear. And my artist, my organizer, my facilitator inside quickly let me know, from the week of March 17th and beyond, that these are the important things for us to remember, that we have questions that we don't know, that sometimes the only way to move forward is to just move and the only way to respond is to just show up. I also deeply believe that this is a time when our creativity and our imagination is really being called to the forefront Many of us are having to reimagine and re-engineer the ways in which we are working, whether it's shifting from working in person to now shifting to working remotely, whether it's shifting to working for ourselves as opposed to working for someone else, or maybe we're not working at all. What we know is that we've all experienced this global shift, and it has not not touched one of us in some way. As I start this journey with you all today, I also want to acknowledge and recognize that there have been losses, that we are in a moment of collective grief together, that some have lost their lives, whether on the front lines, supporting or whether as a result of some other condition that has resulted in the transition of those folks to the ancestor realm. There is grief. And as I say in a lot of my racial equity trainings and the racial equity work that I do in the world, that our grief is a teacher and not something for us to avoid, not something for us to shrink away from, but something for us to remember and acknowledge that it's there that, to remind us that we're human, that it's okay to feel. Grief is a process, whether you're experiencing anger, sadness, happiness, relief, release, whatever that might look like, our grief is necessary to remind us of our humanity and that we care enough to feel what we're feeling. Through those feelings, my hope is that we can act That the things that bring up grief for us in the most deep, dark places will illuminate and reveal to us our blind spots and allow us to move forward in a way with greater clarity, understanding that truly we do need each other and we all deserve the basic human necessities in order to live a happy, fulfilling life. And so truth-telling, right? Truth-telling is the pathway to healing and to reconciliation in my belief. And so I felt it important to really sink into the truth, to ask some hard questions, to remember the rights of us as inhabitants of the United States, uh, as citizens of the United States, as residents of the United States. I can't really speak to what the rights and the laws dictate in other parts of the world for those of you that may be listening from across the globe, but I invite you to do your own research, to come in close proximity with your own version of the truth and the questions that need to be asked during this time so that we can move forward in a cohesive and clear way without leaving anybody behind. Because again, this is our moment to reimagine and re-engineer. And if we happen to reimagine and re-engineer with inequity, with disparity, with injustice as part of the fabric, well, then that would be on us. And so this is my invitation to see, to feel, to know, to question, to imagine. There are many places across um, the United States, and again, not being able to fully speak for what's happening on a global level, um, as there's news in all forms, (laughs) in all ways spreading. But what I do know is that many places are entering into their quote-unquote re-entry in phase one. And that generally some folks are happy about this notion of things being opened back up and this illusion that we might be holding that things are going to return to normal. But there's this uncertainty of what's it going to feel like? What's it going to look like for us to be reintegrated back into society? There have been examples of folks already taking it personally and getting defended about people refusing to wear masks or those that are wearing masks getting ridiculed by those who aren't. And we have this air of divisiveness, right? If we weren't already being divided around race, class, gender, orientation, ability, age, we now have this divisive factor of who's wearing a mask and who isn't. <laughs> and for me as a, as, a, as a deep thinker, as a person that likes to really reflect and really tease apart the meaning of words and language, I'm like, hmm, what, is, what actually does it mean that somebody's unwilling to wear a mask? Because prior to this moment, the notion of being masked in our society meant that we were walking around with only parts of ourselves showing, that we were only presenting what we were willing to let be seen or be known by other people, that there was a part of us that we were keeping hidden, reserved and secret away in the shadows. And so part of me can't help but wonder Is there something deeper to this notion of us having to wear these masks? (laughs) I know that protesters are pushing back every day in almost every state, and that it's going largely unreported by mass media, that there are some communities and neighborhoods that are having cookouts and gathering at corner stores, and just congregating in the streets, so happy to be around one another and to see each other. And I also know that those folks are experiencing detainment. They're getting walked away in handcuffs. They are being slammed to the ground or experiencing other forms of drama, trauma or violence. And I guess drama is also the right word there. <laughs> Part of our reality right now also is that if the middle class ever actually did exist as we know it, that it has almost completely dissolved as monopolies and corporate institutions like Zoom and Amazon and Walmart and Trader Joe's, and I'm sure you could name even a few on your list, that they are benefiting from the crisis as we flock to them for our needs and by large, and again, I'm not able to speak for all of these companies because I'm not on the inside, but from what I have seen from petitions, from people organizing and really sharing their truths and sharing their experiences that the treatment of the employees of some of the places that we're depending on for our services has not improved. And in fact, in some ways has worsened as demand has gone up. I know that prices have gone up for food and other basic necessities as demand has gone up and supply has gone down. I know that there is food that's being tossed out and farms that are being cleared. And still yet so many that are going hungry. I know that there are folks that are without homes because they, in whatever way, were not able to get with the system or get with the program. And that for those who were previously living on the streets, many are in more ways than ever before really having to depend on the generosity and the willingness of communities, churches, and others to allow them a safe space to shelter under this shelter-at-home ordinance. And again, I ask the question, what is home? Who has access to all the benefits and the privileges of being able to shelter in home and feel a sense of resilience, and support right now. Many small business owners and entrepreneurs have experienced their businesses closing. Many folks that have worked years and decades to invest and set up um, opportunities for their children, their grandchildren, have been furloughed, have Lost benefits, lost jobs, lost stability. I know that many of the companies that are going to receive the billions of of dollars in relief from the government or, or other institutional agencies are not being publicly disclosed. And so the question remains around the checks and balances that have always been needed to ensure equity, inclusion, justice, and a true sense of camaraderie for those of us that don't have access, that haven't had access. And so my inner researcher and historian, knowing all of these truths and. In feeling the depth of all of these various points of intersection, whether we're talking about food access, transportation, housing, income, education, um, so many other things that we could name, <clears throat> I saw the deep, deep, deep tsunami caused by coronavirus. And while I am hopeful, and I'm an artist at heart, and ready always to imagine and engineer and to create. I couldn't help but be drawn into some YouTube videos (laughs) that posed some interesting facts and questions that I hadn't been hearing posed in other places. I was especially drawn in when the speaker on the channel, in the video, mentioned that he had posted this information before and it had been taken down. Dr. Rashid Buttar with the Centers for Advanced Medicine uh, just earlier today, today being May 23rd, live streamed several talks as part of a conference to really discuss medicine, to dissect and to look at the coronavirus, and to share some some needed truths in medicine about how we can move forward from this place that we're in. So for the, the data people, the medicine folks, the fact checkers out there, I would invite you to take notes, to do your own research and to know that I'm only the messenger. (laughs) And that is the role that I am playing in sharing this information with you all. So don't kill the messenger. Just be willing to be with the facts. Some interesting facts that I wanted to pull out to share was that in 2014, Dr. Shi Zingli of Wuhan, China, received US government and national basic research grants from China to assist into researching coronaviruses. In 2015, Dr. Shi conducted research at UNC Chapel Hill and led a research team to look into In a nutshell how they could manipulate the SARS components or what was known as a bug virus to make a gain-of-function study on how it can become more potent and breach the human ecosystem to make a new virus that might be more deadly and and in effect could not be vaccinated against. As we all might know in 2003, SARS was widely known at that time, not as much of a pandemic. And although we did back in 2003, see some folks wearing masks, my ears kind of perked up when I realized and had and heard on the video by Dr. Butar that SARS was also a strain of coronavirus. And so I started thinking, well, in two thousand and three, I don't remember there being a shelter in home at home or social distancing or flatten the curve or wear a mask order. I was even more interested and more engaged when Dr. Buttar went on to share that in in 2015, at the conclusion of the study, Dr. Xi returned back to Wuhan, China. In 2019, in November, there was a breach of containment in Wuhan, China, and then slowly, there began to be this global pandemic and spread of COVID-19 or the coronavirus. Some things that Dr. Uh, Doctor Buttar go, goes on to say in a few of his videos, which I would encourage you again to, to watch on your own and do your own research, is that Social distancing isn't a scientific method of preventing disease. It's not a prescription. It is a social ordinance used as a focus of control to induce fear and in many ways to further the seven toxicities as Dr. Buttar calls them, that allow chronic disease and illness to set into the human body. Of the seven toxicities, there's a certain toxicity that's called opportunistics. And opportunistics are bacterias, viruses, fungi, etc., which basically only set into the human body and only have an opportunity to set into the human body when the immune system is suppressed. In other words, when our immune system is already not at its best, and we're compromised on a, on a mind-body-soul level, that's when we get bacteria, viruses, fungi, and other sorts of things in the body. He went on to say, wearing a mask has no science to prove that it prevents disease. When you're breathing through a mask, you're actually taking in more carbon dioxide, which causes more stress on the body as it tries to overcompensate its inability to oxygenate itself. And in that stress that's being created in the body to work harder to find the oxygen, we're increasing cortisol, which compromises our immune system and basically keeps us in a fight or flight state add in the level of fear and and worry and concern from an economic shutdown, from this notion of social distancing and not being able to be around those that provide us with the most support and love and care when we need it. We could see how the current state that most of our human bodies are in is the perfect breeding ground for a coronavirus. And so I have questions, if the data shows that there's been more deaths from the flu than COVID-19, what's the actual benefit to sheltering at home? Why are we wearing masks when the microscopic spore of a virus is smaller than the spaces between the threads on our masks? Why are we inducing our bodies with more stress and breathing in more carbon dioxide when oxygen is actually most of what our body needs in order to survive? Why are people dying from COVID-19 and not with COVID-19? Why are death certificates being changed and stipends given to hospitals for COVID-19 related deaths? Why is pushback on misinformation and false news about death reports from for people, from people who have not died from COVID-19 being stripped um, from social media, websites and other news channels? Why is there censorship happening on this massive level without any questions being raised about the legal rights of people to know information that impacts their livelihoods. Why are vaccinations being pushed when vaccinations have never actually seemed to eradicate disease? Why do we need a bill like HR 6666 to come into the home if a person already has an order order to stay in home is likely the best quarantined environment that they can get, and they're supposedly no longer a threat. So I have questions. And as I listened to Dr. Buttar talk and share more, I also heard him speak strongly about our constitutional amendments and our constitutional rights Specifically, the first constitutional right that we have, freedom of expression. Now, this is one of the most cited amendments or constitutional rights that many of us know about. We typically refer to it in settings when we are not able to express ourselves, but as Dr. Bouchard brought up, that I hadn't really paid attention to before, was our right, or as it states, I'll just read this directly, the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. As I continued reading, I noticed that there were more amendments that I had not in my many years of public education or even adult education, taken the time to acquaint myself with. And so I kept reading and little by little, amendment by amendment, these things popped out at me. Amendment four, search and seizure. The right of people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated and no warrant shall issue but upon probable cause supported by oath or affirmation and particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seized. Amendment five rights of persons, specifically zooming in on the last couple of statements there on Amendment 5, no person shall be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor shall private property be taken for public use without just compensation. Amendment 8 Excessive bail shall not be required, nor excessive fines imposed, nor cruel or unusual punishments inflicted. Amendment 10 The powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states, respectively, or to the people. Amendment 13, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. Amendment 14, no state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. Amendment 15. The right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. Wow. <laughs> so in reading all of that, my mind Im- immediately go- went back to the people that have been ridiculed because they're choosing to not wear a mask, because they're choosing to let themselves be seen fully, and they're choosing to let themselves decide for themselves. Perhaps the next time any of us are in the grocery store or out in public with our masks on, we can stop that individual and really ask them to share with us for a moment what questions they've been considering, what things they've really been asking themselves about their future and the future of their families. We wonder what story there are, there is or there might be behind each individual that chooses to wear a mask. Is it because we're afraid or concerned about disobeying? Is it because we're choosing to let somebody else make decisions or think for us? I'd like to believe that it's because deep down we're all genuinely kind, caring human beings that all want to experience love and care, community, social connection and in that caring, we did the thing that we thought we we needed to do. We did the thing that we thought was best. As I close and as our journey starts to come to an end for this time, I remind us in all of my artist, organizer, facilitator, healer selves that I am, that it's time to create y'all. It's time to imagine, to think, and to do for ourselves. And if there was never a time that could prove to us the power of ordinary people to do extraordinary things, just look around, see the amazing stories of everyday heroes and heroines, the people that are choosing to continue to show up in healthcare settings, at hospitals, knowing or believing what they might've been exposed to. I remind us that lack and competition are created and taught concepts. I remind us that we live in a natural order and a planet and an essence that is based upon abundance, creativity, biodiversity, and again, Love. Love is not just an emotion, as Dr. Buttar states. Love is source energy. Love is truly the only healing that we need. And so, at a time, in a moment of a global pan- pandemic, why might we be disconnected or asked to disengage from that which? is gonna provide us with the deepest healing. I ask of you, as it always is asked of me, to ask more of life, ask for justice, ask for what you need and ask not just for yourself, ask for others as we remember in this moment and always that we are truly, truly a community, that we can coexist, that in fact we were designed to. And so whatever the moment might be that you come out of your home and define for yourself anew what your expectations are, and how ignorant we might be to our basic human constitutional rights How can we create together? What can we create together? I hope to see you on the other side.